Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. This morning, we are continuing um, in our series on Daniel, and we're still in chapter 9, which has a lot of biblical, theological information in it, and the focus for the rest of this chapter, um, actually, wow, sorry about that, is prayer and repentance. Uh, prayer, which we're going to talk about in a minute, but also repentance from sin. And then uh, it's about trusting God's plan, right? God has a sovereign, eternal plan for all of humanity. And we're going to see God kind of lay that out uh, in a form that many people may not be used to. Now, again, I have to say this, spoiler alert, the rest of the book of Daniel, super spiritual, right? A lot of prophecy, a lot of information uh, about kingdoms rising and falling, about which kingdoms are going to rise, which kingdoms are going to fall. It it, it goes into such alarming detail, even including uh, which queens will marry which kings in order to produce bigger kingdoms, Uh, so much detail, but super spiritual, all right? Uh, Now, here's the thing. Before we get started, just I I, want to focus on why we've been walking through this and why it's called on earth as it is in heaven. How many people, most of you familiar with the Lord's Prayer, right? We all pray that, say the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Let me show you this part. Uh, In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, he's not saying pray our Father in heaven because we're limiting God to, hey, God is only in heaven. God is omnipresent. But he's acknowledging that that is the seat of God's sovereign authority from heaven. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is a word that just means sanctified and holy. And then he says this next verse we're all familiar with. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've all heard this phrase before, but here's reality. If if we believe that, that God is truly sovereign, and if we truly want his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and if, as Jesus said, this is the way we should be praying regularly and daily, then we want that same sovereign God who's sovereign in heaven, we want his will to be sovereign in our lives, in our homes, in our schools, but also in our nation, right? We want all the political stuff that happens in our nation not to follow a specific party, but to follow the will of a sovereign God. And that's what we should be praying for regularly and consistently is what uh, we're told. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump into the book of Daniel. If you have a Bible, open it up to Daniel chapter 9. We're going to walk through a whole lot of that chapter, almost all of the chapters. Some of it we covered a few weeks ago. Uh, Daniel chapter 9. Uh, starting in, we're going to start in verse 1 instead of verse 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's one on a table somewhere to the left or right in front of you. Uh, Definitely you need to follow along this week more than any other. Daniel chapter 9, here's what it says. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, 
I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And um, if you want to write in the margin of your Bible, the portion of the book of Jeremiah he was reading was Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 1 through 12. But then he says this, because he understood that, from the scriptures, verse three. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. That's literally just a way of saying that uh, a, a process that they used to do to show they were in mourning while they were praying. Verse four says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, underline this word confessed, O Lord, Great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. He says this in verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. And he's going to use that term we like almost 20 times. He says, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Verse 7, Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, and all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings and our princes and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. Now, if he were writing this today, the we and our kings and our princes, uh, when he was writing it, it was all the leaders of Jerusalem. We started out talking about how the nation divided and they were going to war with one another, right? That wasn't God's will for them. And if he were writing it today, he would be talking about, and and no disrespect, but all the political leaders who say, yes, I'm a Christian, but don't do God's will. They say they're a Christian because they want people and Christians to vote for them, but they're not acting like Christians. They're not loving like Christians. They're not trying to do God's will based on being in the office that they've been put in. Uh, And where he says for all of our fathers He's talking about all the generations beforehand that didn't do God's will for us today. That would be all the generations before us that focused on getting people into the church building instead of focused on, hey, whoever comes in, we want to equip you to go out and do the will of God. And many, many congregations still focus on that today. It's a focus. It's a goal. We got to get as many. I had someone message me, uh, I think it was last week, and said, hey, here's why I left this specific church. Because I was talking about, hey, if, you're, if, you, if you have a problem with someone in the congregation, work it out with them. If you can't work it out with them and you feel like I need to leave that congregation, go find another one. But don't abandon the people of God as a whole and say I'm done with God. And so I had people messaging me say, here's why I had to leave this congregation, because all they were focused on was trying to get as many people into the building. When we come up and say, hey, we're dealing with this problem or that problem, they're like, but you're already here, so I can't pay attention to you. I got to focus on trying to get more people in, not trying to equip the people who are here to be the church. And we've had generations and generations of people in our nation that have done that. But in verse 9, he says this, the Lord our God is merciful, forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your laws. 
and turned away, refusing to obey you. Now, drop down to verse 17. He goes on and on about it's our fault. We did this. We did wrong. We did. He's confessing the sins of the people. Drop down to verse 17 because I want to show you how he ends this. Verse 17, he says, Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant for your sake. O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary because the temple of Jerusalem had been destroyed. If he were saying this today, he would say, look uh, with favor on all the empty church buildings, right? There are huge, gigantic, beautiful church buildings that were built in the 17, 18, 1900s. Beautiful. Empty. Go to downtown Pittsburgh. You'll see a lot of them have been turned into bars and hookah places because that's the only people that will go into them. He says also... Excuse me. He says also, uh, give ear, O God, and hear, open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. Now, um, granted, this city, and there's not a city here that bears his name, that was the city of Jerusalem, but there are many cities in the United States where the whole city, the whole structure was formed based around exalting the name of God. Many of the colleges, Yale, Harvard, those type of places, were started because in that city, the focus was exalting the name of God. And those universities and colleges were started to equip people to go out and share the gospel. But if you go to them today, there's absolutely no trace of God or Christianity or equipping people to share his word in them at all. And instead of cities that bear his name, we have cities where injustice and violence prevail and the people say, that's okay. That's okay. And our nation, our nation as a whole uh, needs help, right? I mean, we have cities, we have wherever you go. I mean, just turn on the news. I haven't turned it on in about three weeks now, but just turn on the news and you'll see headlines of just violence and killing and murder and mean, harsh, unspeakable things being done to children and to families and corruption and all of this stuff. But uh, the people of God will gather on Sunday morning in places like this. How many people have heard, you know, or seen posts from people saying, hey, we need revival, we need revival. And the problem isn't revival. Right? We don't have a problem uh, with God not showing up. We have a problem with God's people not obeying God's will. It's not that God isn't willing to show up in our homes and communities and schools in our nation. It's that the people of God don't want to do God's will. Now, granted, what Daniel wrote was specific to the covenant uh, that Israel had with God and how they violated, and so they were reaping the consequences. But compare that to the people of today. Daniel said, hey, that the people had turned away from God's commands. How many people would say, yeah, that if you look at the churches today, that we've turned away from God's commands? And we talked about this before. Two of the basic commands that sum up everything. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. I was just um, um, doing an interview on a, a, a podcast, and we were talking about the fact that Christians, not even the rest of the world, just the Christians that were divided over, you know, mask mandates and vaccines, 
and are still divided politically, yet each of them calling themselves, we're the people of God, and looking at the other one and saying, but you can't be because you vote this way. And that's not, nowhere in God's word does it say that's how you tell the people of God. He says, love God and love others, right? And then uh, Daniel says, but people rebelled against the word of God. And we, we just live in a nation where we just want to do things our way. Churches that call themselves the house of God, but don't want to open God's word, don't want to share about the love of Christ, there are congregations right now that, hey, they've decorated just like we have, but they're not going to talk about the birth of Christ because it's offensive to some people. And so they're, they're not going to do things the way that God calls them to. They're going to do it their way. And then this, ignored the prophets and the word of God. All the things that are in God's word that God says, thou shalt, that people ignore, and the things that God specifically says, whether you like it or not, thou shalt not, and people ignore. Because we want to create a God in our own image. Right? Now, here's the thing. Daniel confesses all that, and he cries out to God, and I want us to look at, again, this is going to get really spiritual and supernatural. I want us to look at what happens when Daniel confesses. Drop down to verse 20. Daniel writes, while I was speaking, and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in an earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifices. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, and somebody needs to hear that this morning because we tend to think we've got to pray for years and months or whatever. That may be how long it takes for us to see the consequences, but the moment you bow your head and call on the name of God, he hears us. And he said the moment, excuse me, as soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. And we're going to dig into this in a minute, but let me just read what he wrote. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to, and this is important, finish transgression, that's a big word for sin and iniquity, to put an end to sin, that's what Jesus died for, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, that's not going to happen until the end times, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now, um, first and foremost, this wasn't a vision, right? Daniel had had visions before where Gabriel showed up in his vision. This is literally the angel Gabriel showing up. God said, hey, Daniel's praying. I need you to, like, Take a message, take it to him. And we're going to see in the next couple of chapters uh, how that plays out, spiritual warfare uh, and more of that stuff uh, next week. But this is the same Gabriel who shows up in these other verses. Now, also, I don't know if you guys know this. This is the first time in the Bible, not here, but in the book of Daniel, is the first book that actually gives a name to an angel. Angels have showed up. Uh, and all the books prior to this, there's angels that show up. There's angels that show up in Genesis. Uh, angels shows up in Exodus. Angels show up throughout 
the, the historical books, but this is the first time that a name is given to an angel. We'll talk more about next week about why that is, but an angel uh, shows up, the angel Gabriel, this is the same angel who shows up when uh, John the Baptist, or before John the Baptist is born. In Luke chapter 1, it says this, when Zechariah, that's John the Baptist's father, saw him, the angel, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Again, God sending an angel in response to prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. And then later on it says this, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. This is the same angel that later, six months later, shows up to Mary. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. So there are other, only a few other angels named in, in scripture, um, but Gabriel is the first one that is named, and he's named in the book of Daniel. And that's where we get this term that he's a messenger, the term messenger angels, because he shows up consistently over and over to deliver a message. Now, I want to look at in detail what he says just in the last, like, 10 minutes. Here's, here's the first thing he says. No one understand this. This is verse 25. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, some versions say the Messiah, some versions say the prince, uh, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble, talking about the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Then he says this, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. And then in this verse, he says, he, this is a whole different person now, will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out upon him. A lot of stuff, right? Whole lot of stuff, super spiritual. Let me break it down really quick. Verse 25 this is the Amplified version because it's going to help expand on it. This is what Gabriel communicates. He says, No one therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the coming of the anointed one, there shall be seven weeks of years and 62 weeks of years. And then he talks about how it's going to be rebuilt. Here's the thing he says. The first time period, he mentions three time periods. First time period, this seven, seven-year periods. It's going to be the seven sevens. Seven seven-year periods, that's 49 years. That occurred, and if you go online, you can look. I don't remember how long ago we did it. In the book of Nehemiah chapter 2, there was a command that was given by, uh, I think it's Artaxerxes, to go back and rebuild the city 
It took them 49 years to rebuild the city. And where it said it, we were built with trouble and all that stuff is because the surrounding cities didn't want them to rebuild it. Plus, the people got so busy like, hey, before we rebuild the city, can I just focus on building my business and making my family secure? And then we'll worry about the rest of this stuff. And something that should have taken a couple of years ended up taking exactly 49 years to build. Right, so that, again, prophecy fulfilled uh, back in our history, it was fulfilled. Daniel had to look forward to it. All right, the next thing he says is this. Uh, From the going forth of the commandment until the coming of the anointed one, a prince, shall be seven weeks of years and 62 weeks of years. And he's talking about the city being rebuilt. But then he says this. After the 62 weeks of years, the anointed one will be cut off and killed and she'll have nothing and no one belonging to and defending him. Okay? Now this is the second time period. The first time period was the seven seven seven-year periods. That's 49 years. The second time period was 62 seven-year periods. Uh, I've done the math for you, but if somebody has a calculator, please check it because, you know, I'm fat-fingered and I mess stuff up. And yes, I did it with a calculator because there's no need to do it in your head when God has given us calculators. But so 62 times 7, 434 years. You add those two together, 483 years. So he says there's going to be this 49-year time period, then this 434-year time period, and after that time period, the Messiah of the Anointed One will come, but then after that, he'll be cut off. Here's the thing. The Babylonian calendar, not like ours. We use the what's called Gregorian calendar, 365 days, throw in a leap year here and there, all that kind of stuff. Babylonian calendar, even though they were under... uh, Uh, Cyrus and the Medo-Persian Empire, Babylonian calendar was what was being used, has 360 days in it. Again, pull out the calculator, do the math, Google list, there's a lot more to it. 483 years times 360 days each year equals 173,880 days. If you look up online, you can find the day that the decree was made to go forward and rebuild Jerusalem. 173,880 days later was Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. By the end of that week, he was cut off or killed. This is, again, super, supernatural stuff, but also something that For Daniel, they were like, hey, look forward to this. This is what's going to happen. For us, we can look back and say fulfilled, fulfilled, fulfilled. The last time period, he says, after the 62 weeks shall the anointed one be cut off or killed, have nothing and no one belonging to and defending him. And the people of the other prince, now he speaks of this other prince, who will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary, it shall come with a flood, and even to the end there shall be war, and desolations are decreed. This is talking about the destruction of the city, because he was talking about, hey, this is, Gabriel said, I'm going to tell you about the destruction of the city. This is talking about the destruction of the city in 70 AD, when the city of Jerusalem was destroyed yet again. Now, in the next verse, he brings up a whole other ruler. 
And he says, he, this other ruler, shall enter into a strong and firm covenant with many for one week or seven years. And we know this is a different ruler because it doesn't apply to the person who destroyed the city of Jerusalem. He says, in the midst of that week, he shall cause the sacrifice and offerings to cease for the remaining three and one half years. And upon a wing or pinnacle of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the full determined end is poured out on the desolator. This last seven-year period that he's talking about is what we call the Great Tribulation. It's going to be this unprecedented time of peace where the actual uh, um, sacrifices uh, will be restored in Jerusalem because they're not even taking place today. But then three and a half years in, he's going to flip the script and there's going to be unprecedented war killing natural disasters. Uh, most theologians, if you read through what happens in the book of Revelation, believe that somewhere between 25%, one quarter, it's more like one third of the earth's population will be killed because of the violence, because of the natural disasters. I mean, if we think we struggle during the pandemic, this is a million times worse than that. Food will be scarce. Water will be scarce. All of these things will happen. But in order, in order to uh, make sure that everyone is aware of what comes up, the, the reason why Gabriel discusses the Messiah coming is to do what we're supposed to do. Hey, all of these hard times are coming, but let me point you to Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. Yes, times are hard and people are struggling, but let me point you to Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know that you're dealing with a lot of economic hardship and financial uh, strain and, 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 and mental and, and all this kind of stuff, but let me point you to the hope that can only come from Jesus Christ. And I know people are concerned because political this and political that, and there are still races that, are, that have to be like another election has to be done in order to figure it out. It doesn't matter. Let me point you to Jesus Christ. Because no matter who wins those races, our hope is not going to come from whoever wins those races. Our hope is only going to come from Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. We're going to close out with a quick time of prayer. God, we realize there's a lot of uncertainty in our nation right now. We realize there's a lot of people who lack hope, who lack faith. We realize there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians but are doing everything that Daniel said. They're denying your word. They're rebelling against your ways. But we also realize the most important thing, the hope of our world lies with Jesus Christ. The peace that he can bring, the love for one another that he can bring, the true justice that, that, that is in line with your uh, line of morality, all of that can be made possible through Jesus Christ. But none of that can be made possible unless we, your people, go tell others about your son. So we pray that this Christmas season, 
that yes, that if, if, if you've given us that ability that we go have the family meals, we join the Christmas parties, we go and buy the gifts, but I also pray that we tell others about the birth of Christ because it is in him that the hope of the world rests. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen, amen, amen.